The heavyweight champion is taking the mandatory eight count. And Foreman is as poised as can be. And remember that guy, the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present. Hey there, folks. I'm your host, welterweight champion of the world, James, joined as always by my illustrious colleagues. Great to be with you again, James Diaz. And we have an incredibly special guest this week. This is actually one of the judges at ringside. Ended up just having a front row seat to George Foreman's molly whopping. Sir, it's an honor. Would you please introduce yourself? Yeah, that's right. It's me, the very special guest, Xavier. And as you know, it's much more fun to be a judge when there's a knockout because you can't fuck it up. <laughs> and a good thing we didn't have Twitter back then. I've, I've seen some things. I've had some issues with my colleagues. You know, some of them have retired now. Maybe their eyesight was starting to go. You know, maybe there was some other stuff going on. But when you knock someone out, you don't have to deal with the scoring. What if Angel Hernandez just became a ringside referee? Guys standing around ready to land a jab, and he just starts doing the 10 count anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Throws in the towel for the trainer. Guy falls, and he's just, like, looking in the other direction. God, he's so bad at his job. Anyway, Xavier's not our only guest this week. We've got yet another uh, sometime listener and first-time caller, friend of ours from our days back in Temple University. Go ahead and introduce yourself, friend. Hi, it, uh, my name is Jake Adams. Uh, yeah, I'm a Temple University grad along with these fine gentlemen here. Glad I don't have to see their faces every day anymore. I'm glad I get to see them occasionally. Sports editor at the Louisville Courier Journal. So maybe I'll have a chance to keep up with you guys a little bit today as we talk sports a little bit. We'll see if uh, my job title actually holds up to your rigorous conversations here. Well, just... For us, it's an honor because this is now two weeks in a row. Last week, we have a person that actually played basketball on a collegiate level. We had Kev on. Now we have a person that covers athletics for a living. Like The journalistic integrity of this podcast, through none of our doing, has just skyrocketed. <laughs> it's truly a step forward. One I'm glad I can help guys. One great <laughs> step for guy kinds. Do you guys know that uh, Lance Armstrong fucked up that line? He, he messed up the quote? It was supposed to be one giant leap for mankind, and he just said one giant leap for man (laughs) when he was on the moon with his one testicle. That's why they sent Lance Armstrong up there. He had less weight when they sent him up with a rocket. They didn't have to account for it because of the one less testicle. Anyway, hi, Jake. Would you like to go ahead and tell us who's making memories for you right now? Sure. So I'll bring a little bit of Midwestern flair here, as weird as that sounds to say to myself a year after being in PA for my entire life. Lately, we've had some interesting developments here with the, maybe you guys have heard a little bit, there's been some schools changing places and and homes in NCAA recently. Not sure if you've heard because it's been on the West Coast. Well, I cover, or my staff covers, I should say, a major conference in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Somehow Louisville being in the Midwest is part of the Atlantic Coast. Geography class is not something the ACC is very good at. However, With all of this conference realignment talk, there has been some fun watching UofL fans talk about where UofL is going to go. Will the SEC come calling? Will the Big Ten come calling? So I'm just here to kind of sit and watch Armageddon play out in college football. On a funnier note, though, I don't know how much you guys follow horse racing, and 
it's been a culture shock for me for a little bit. There's a guy by the name of Bob Baffert. You may have heard of him. He mm-hmm. likes to win horse races as a trainer. He um, absolutely <laughs> likes to win horse races as a trainer. He, he is that motherfucker in horse racing. He is that motherfucker in horse racing. He's got six Kentucky Derby wins. He would have had a seventh if, you know, he didn't give his horse. I've got to watch my phrasing because of litigious, but didn't give his horse a corticosteroid that is banned on race day. So... He's been caught up in a whole bunch of uh, litigation with Churchill Downs, with horse racing officials and stuff like that, just because he you know, doesn't want to be banned. And a local distillery created a bottle of, well, really repurposed a bottle of whiskey recently called Bobby's Secret Horsey Stuff, um, <laughs> which is just, I mean, it's just fantastic. I wish I could get uh, my hands on some of it. But it's not really available at the moment. It was a very small batch that was made, and it's apparently been sold out. But we we had some fun covering that one yesterday when that kind of broke. So that that's my little Midwestern flair for the show today. I'm very excited to see where Louisville moves to in conferences because I will be excited to find out what conference Lamar Jackson is now the greatest quarterback of all time to have played in retroactively. <laughs> well, it'll be the so conference. Does it work that Future way? SEC legend Lamar Jackson. <laughs> American Athletic Conference legend, Lamar Jackson. So I don't know about you guys. I just, I've not obviously followed Louisville for most of my life, but it's been interesting through this process to learn that Louisville's bounced around from like independent to like five or six other conferences just since the turn of the millennium. (laughs) They don't have a home here and the ACC is like the biggest home they've had in quite some time. And just a few years into being part of this conference, it might all go to shit. I mean, the ACC stood no chance when conference cornerstone University of Maryland Terps left. Correct. (laughs) I'm just going to keep flattering Maryland as much as I possibly can during your segment about the Midwest. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's all right. It's close enough to home that I appreciate it. Well, Jake, thank you so much for sharing your memories. Uh, Xavier Diaz, either of you guys got some yearning to jump out of your throats and hear onto this recording? So for me, last night, I was watching your Las Vegas Aces, James. Uh, They were hosting Xavier's New York Liberty. Just an incredible performance, most notably by Sabrina Ionescu. Sabrina dropping a 30-point triple-double. She was a revelation, but more of a revelation for me was her teammate, 6'10", Dynamo, Han Chu, getting her first real extended run this season playing for the Liberty. 6'10" playing uh, as, a, as a player coming from China. There's been some obvious comparisons drawn to Yao Ming, but she's been more of a reserve, sort of, sort of now getting more playing time. And, I mean, she can do it all. At 6'10", she, she made a three last night, obviously protecting the rim, handled her own on the perimeter very well. And this isn't like some whatever team she's guarding on the perimeter. Like, this is Kelsey Plum, and this is the Aces, arguably the best it's, team. It's the team that's going the, to yeah. still win the title. They may not have won the game last night, but it is the team that will still win the title this year. And, I mean, hey, who knows? they might end up seeing that Liberty team in the first round the way the, the standings are breaking down. But Han Chu was a revelation, so much so that I immediately during the game, I had to go in for our fantasy league that... You still have just the slightest of life in. I need to beat the best team in the league, and the worst team in the league needs to also win for the viewers at home. That's what I need to happen for me to make the playoffs in our WNBA Fantasy League. But, listen, nobody ever said it was going to be easy. We've kept Brittany Griner on our IR all season, 
and the team, I think, is starting to rally. Now we're starting to see some positive momentum that Brittany will come home. The team is inspired, and we're going to give it our best shot. Brittany's been our inspiration all year, and I'm just hoping the team can pull it out for her. It's all for Brittany. But Hanchu, great backup center to Brittany Griner for, for the team and making memories for me. Two things that I feel we got to make sure we don't brush past on that game. You mentioned Hanshu's 1-3. It, it was the most threes ever combined in a WNBA game. Not only did it have that record, Sabrina Inescu's 31-point triple-double was the first ever 30-point triple-double in WNBA history. So, like, let's just make sure we acknowledge. Yeah, the Liberty really smacked the Aces' ass last night a little bit. It was uh, it was disheartening, but as I said, Aces are winning the title. So, don't worry. Book it. <laughs> One other thing to add to that is that I did have Han on my team for about three months and then dropped her on Monday before her breakout game, which sucks, but is slightly offset by the fact that I got 64 points from Sabrina Ionescu, which is a third of my entire team's total for the whole week, which is pretty great. She's still incredible. All hail Sabrina Ionescu. And what is essentially her second season? Right, because she had the, the injuries for the for the one Just season. immediate, yeah, like devastating injury at the start of the rookie season. But that's in the past. We don't we don't want to focus about her past. Right now, Sabrina Inescu is an incandescent star. And speaking of your beloved Sabrina Inescu in both fantasy and real world, Xavier, is there anyone else that is making memories for you right now? Yeah, I got a couple couple quick things. So we're at the point of the season for baseball when fun stats are bandied about and there are two very fun stats that I saw uh, in the past 24 hours. One is that ancient man, Matt Carpenter, who was plucked out of retirement to come be a backup on the Yankees, currently has an OPS over 1,200 with an OPS plus of 240. He just comes off the bench and hits home runs. It's, it, it's wild. It must be the stash power. And then Yankees closer, Clay Holmes, who they traded a bag of balls for he currently has an ERA plus over 700. In in context, the closest ERA plus for any reliever that has about as many innings as him is 356. So his value is more than double that of any other reliever who's put in the same amount of work. And it's not really close. And again, this is a guy they traded for last year, just some random low-level minor leaguers, and he's now going to be an all-star. I, I love random stats about... Oh yeah, this guy is technically seven times more valuable than an average player based on stats that put 100 as the baseline, which I find very fun. Baseball. It's the analytics world, baby. It's just but, uh, baseball. I, I do Makes love the analytics sick. world. I hate the Yankees, but I love the analytics world. Well, the other, the other baseball thing I want to talk about real quick is that the World Baseball Classic is coming back. Hell yes. Nice. 2023 World Baseball Classic, and I am so excited for this. They've released the tournament format. They're doing four pools, Pool A, Pool B, Pool C, Pool D. USA, Mexico, Colombia, Canada, and a qualifier team will be in Pool C. And then in Pool D, it's Puerto Rico, Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, Israel, and another qualifier team. And I still very, very vividly remember the 2017 World Baseball Classic Final, the last one that happened because of the world exploding, when Diaz and I and Jose went to PubWeb to watch our beloved Puerto Rico face the USA in the championship, and then got completely boat raced. They had not lost the entire tournament. They were undefeated entering the championship. 
was it was a devastating loss. A, a great memory of that is, first of all, I, the crowd there was very antagonistic, I have to say. Because the three of us went there in our Puerto Rico gear. Nobody there gave a shit. We just asked for it to be put on in a corner. And we weren't making noise and we weren't doing anything. But everybody saw, oh, hey, USA's playing Puerto Rico. And all of a sudden, the whole bar just turned incredibly jingoistic. Nothing bad was said or done. But I, I felt like an other. I truly did. The owner of the place was nice enough. Did bring us a round of shots of rum. So that was very nice of him. Miss Pubweb. Pubba was a great place. It was not a, a great place that night. It was a very rough place. Um, <laughs> Pubweb bar I got my first legal drink at. There you go. I'll always remember that shot because it was terrible, but it felt like a pity shot. Like, you guys specifically asked for this. We put it on just for you, and you're getting demolished. Here's some really shitty alcohol on the house, and we were gracious for the commiserations. But, um, very kind. It was very kind. But no, Xavier, so uh, Jose and I are already talking about we're trying to find a way to get down to Miami for some of those Puerto Rico games. So mark I mean, I'm 100% calendar. in, so. Mark your calendar. I can mark that on my calendar next to uh, the 2026 World Cup. Just future things I have to go yeah. to. What would be the closest one to you, then? Is it Kansas City, technically? or Oh, Atlanta. You could probably get to Atlanta, right? You get to Atlanta, I could get to Kansas City. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a hike for me no matter what, but I can make it work. Or you can just come to Philly and watch with all of us. That honestly might be what I want to do, actually. (laughs) The other thing that I really want want to talk about, just real briefly, this one isn't a a fun thing. So I wanted to bring a brief mention to Flyers goalkeeping prospect, uh, Ivan Fedotov, who was supposed to come over from Russia this year and have a shot at the starting job for the Flyers. Apparently, there's an issue with players who played for CSKA Moscow, the team that Fedotov played for, which is technically an army-affiliated club. They don't want players to leave to go to the U.S., and essentially, they were going to force them into mandatory military service if they did leave because of their ties to the military and apparent Russian laws about active military service. The reporting is a little sketchy right now, but pretty much all we're aware of is that This dude was essentially kidnapped and sent to an extremely dangerous naval base in the Arctic Circle because they alleged he tried to dodge his military responsibilities by signing a contract with the Flyers. So, you know, just hoping that this guy is okay and that something can get worked out where he can come actually play in the NHL and not be forced to be in the military or in the Arctic. So fingers crossed that that gets resolved. And I also saw there could be issues for other Russian players. So people like Igor Shosturkin have decided not to go back to Russia for the offseason. So, you know, that, that's it's going to be a very difficult situation for a lot of those guys, other than Ovechkin, who is a douche. But not really going to worry about that right now. I just hope that Fedotov and other guys in that situation are all right. Yeah, all that shit is very fucked. I have some more dumb baseball stats if you guys want. I love dumb baseball stats. Well, that's that's what's making memories for me right now. I got another one for your Yankees to try and at least make the Yankees a little bit more fun. Yesterday, July 6th, was the first ever time that two players with the first name Aaron hit grand slams for the same team, also managed by a person named Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's the best. Such a dumb No, it's not the best. I have the actual best one. 
Here's someone else that's making memories for me right now. Michael Harris II, playing for Atlanta. Have you guys followed him at all this season? I think he's on my fantasy team. He's he's very good. Totally reasonable if you did. He is a DeKalb, Georgia native. So he's from the Atlanta area. Went to high school in Stockbridge, Georgia. Drafted by his hometown in 2019. Turned down his commitment to Texas Tech. He was going to go to school to become a veterinarian while also playing college ball. But turned that down. Entered the Atlanta system. This year he has come up. He's been an absolute revelation for them. He's batting 293, on-base percentage of 329, slugging 489. That is a solid 817 OPS, a 121 OPS plus. But his big claim to fame right now is that at least until new number five MLB pipeline prospect Gunnar Henderson is promoted to the Orioles, Michael Harris II is currently the youngest player in the major leagues. He was born on March 7th, 2001. So as of today... July 7th, he is 21 years and 122 days old. I mention this because yesterday, July 6th, he played against the St. Louis Cardinals, who currently employed the oldest player in Major League Baseball, that is Albert Pujols, who is 42 years and 172 days old. Albert Pujols debuted on April 2nd, 2001, 26 days after Michael Harris II was born. And that is just... Pretty fucking wild. And I know you absolutely <laughs> adore Albert Pujols, Xavier, so I knew I, I do. I love Albert Pujols, and I do have Michael Harris on my Dynasty League team. I did just double-check. Well, good. If you didn't, guys. I was going to tell you to get him, but there we go. The toughest part about being a sports fan is reaching your 30s and realizing that the guys you're rooting for are now younger than you. I just want to throw that out there. Everyone except Albert Pujols is younger than us. To be fair, that's not true. There's plenty of players other than Albert Pujols that are still younger than me. Say what you will, Jake, but I'm holding on to that for quite some time. Thank you very much. Yes, 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 but you know what I mean. (laughs) Well, gentlemen, that's our memories. But that's not the only thing we're here for this week. We are presenting to you a new spinoff show, which, once again, full-time will be hosted by Chris Hardwick. For our pilot episode tonight, I'm going to be taking over hosting duties as we introduce you all to the new Remember That Guy-based trivia show, Who Wants to Be a Guylionaire? <laughs> Tonight's contestants are the three other people joining me here on the call. We've got Mr. Xavier Perez. Go ahead and say hi to the folks at home, Xavier. Hello, everybody. Hi, Mom. Next up in our middle podium, we've got Jake Adams representing Louisville, Kentucky. How are you doing tonight, Mr. Adams? I'm doing good, Mr. James. How are you doing? Oh, I'm quite all right. And it's Mix James, if you don't mind. And on our right podium, we have Mr. Justin Diaz joining us from the mean streets of Philadelphia. How are you feeling today, buddy? I'm great. I understand why Will Smith got beat up on the West Philadelphia basketball court. I just played the other day and we were fine. I guess you were just that much better than he was take it we've got some categories tonight celebrating everybody's favorite sports podcast remember that guy and diaz appropriate that we leave off there with you for a moment because we've got a category designed for you my friend our first category tonight is more shit to prove here's how it is going to work each view is going to get an athlete a sport and a year that they retired and here's the catch all of these athletes retired multiple times you will have to tell me if They had more shit to prove following that retirement, or if it was their final retirement and there was no more shit. Do you all understand the rules? Yes. It's an up-down. It is an up-down, yes. They did not have Shit or no shit. Shit or no shit. That is the new name of the category, baby. 
Shit or no shit to you first, Diaz. You'll be our first contestant. The athlete, Sarah Schlepper. The sport, skiing, the year, 2011. Did Sarah Schlepper have more shit to prove? Yes, she did. Yes, indeed, she did. That wasn't the final performance for her as a United States athlete. But as we all know, due to marriage, she was able to compete on the Mexican Ski Federation's team for a couple more Olympics following that. That is one point for you, Diaz, to get this game started as we turn next to you, Xavier. Your athlete is Hillary Lunky. Your sport is golf. And the year? 2008. I'm going to say no more shit to prove. That's another point to you, Xavier. Correct. That was indeed Hillary Lunky's final year on the LPGA Tour because it was the last one that was automatically granted to her following her 2003 out-of-nowhere U.S. Open win. That's a point to you, Xavier, tying you up with Diaz as we turn to our next contestant, Jake Adams. Jake Adams, your athlete is Dara Torres. Your sport is swimming, and the year is 2000. I got to keep the streak alive for the group here. Um... Still had shit to prove. You are absolutely correct. While that was Dara Torres' second retirement, she did have one more comeback in her. So Dara Torres did indeed have more shit to prove following her 2000 retirement. Back to the top of the order with you, Diaz. Your athlete, Johnny Rutherford. Your sport, racing, and the year, 1994. They are had shit to prove, though. Unfortunately... While Johnny Rutherford did not officially retire until 1998, he did not compete in a single race from 1994 to 1998. And the judges have ruled he had no further shit to prove without any further competition. And so we are going to have to say there is no point on that round. You're the first one to get one off, but that's okay. And let's see if Xavier gets stumped on his. Xavier, your athlete is Buster Douglas. Ooh. Your sport is boxing. And the year is 1999. This is tough because boxing, they always come back. You know what? I'm going to say they he had more shit to prove, just like how Adley Rutschman just did his first ever homer at Camden Yards. Nice try trying to flatter me, but unfortunately you are <laughs> still incorrect, Xavier. That was Russell Douglas' second retirement. This is following the comeback that came after the diabetic coma. That did not stop him, but his retirement in 1999 did. So you were also He can still come back question. and fight now. Now, I've seen worse we, happen. we will change the score retroactively <laughs> if that's the case. But for now, we head to you, Jake Adams, and you've got a chance to actually take the lead here. Your athlete is Anderson Verajao. The sport, basketball, and the year, 2017. More shit to prove. Anderson Verajao played his very last game for the Golden State Warriors prior to that 2017 retirement, spent two years in Brazil, and then return to the franchise that drafted him, Cleveland, for two 10-day contracts to finish out the season. You are correct. He did have more shit to prove, and that is a second point to you, Jake Adams. Now we Ooh. have our final round of shit or no shit. We're going to come to you once again, Diaz, to start things off. Your athlete is Lee Evans. Your sport is football. And the year, 2012. So I know that was the year that he had the drop. I'm going to say no more shit. He did go to the Jacksonville Jaguars for some practice squad and training camp exercises, but he never played another NFL game, so we are going to grant you a point for your no more shit this time. That was indeed the true retirement for Buffalo Bills legend and Ravens no longer pariah Lee Evans. And as a second point to you, Diaz, tying you up with Jake. Xavier, 
Here's your chance to catch up to those two. Your athlete is Ivory of the WWE, known for her participation in Right to Censor. The sport, as you may have gathered from all that, is wrestling. And the year? 2005. Ooh, 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 ooh. You know, similar to my thought about boxing, wrestling, they, they recycle them back. She might have come in under a different stage name, but I'm going to say more shit to prove. If she had merely come in for a different stage name, you would not be granted the point. However, in this most recent year, 2022, in a Royal Rumble, for the first time since 2005, Ivory did appear, losing in 25 seconds while in her right to censor uniform. Therefore, your yes more shit is correct, and you also, Xavier, now have two points. But Jake can still exit this first round with a lead. If he can tell me if Eddie Guidel, in the sport of baseball, following the year 1951, did or did not have more shit to prove. I'm not going to drag this out because I don't even want to pretend I know. I'm saying no shit. I mean, hey, have some faith in yourself. He does not have any more shit to prove because he only has that one plate appearance in 1951 to his name. There you go, folks. After this first round, we exit with Jake holding a one-point lead over Xavier and Diaz tied at two. Now we'll enter into our next category, which will have the mic duties handed over to the person that inspired that most recent category. Justin Diaz, take it away. Why don't you go ahead and explain our head-to-head rounds. So in these head-to-head rounds, Xavier and I have both prepared our own set of questions. And the way this will go is I will present the question to both, I will present the question to both Xavier and Jake. Either of them get the answer correct. We'll both get a point. But if neither gets it, I will get a point. And then when we eventually get to Xavier's, it will also be the same. With that being said, all of these are going to be guys. The theme of the category is the other guy. So in iconic moments on iconic teams, often ill-fated, was the other guy? I'll alternate who I ask first. I'll ask the second person if they concur, if they have a different answer, and then we'll go from there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Works for me. And folks, I'll be helping you keep score the whole time at home. Diaz, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. This first question will first pose to Xavier to answer. In the season chronicled in ESPN's epic documentary series, The Last Dance, the Bulls defeat the Jazz in the NBA Finals to cap their incredible 90s dynasty. Who was defending Michael Jordan when he hit his iconic shot in Game 6 and route to the Bulls' sixth title in six years? Ooh. I only know two guys on that team. I don't think it was either of them. Let's just go with the terrible person, Karl Malone. Jake, do you agree? X has a better chance of knowing than I did right now. I'm completely stumped, so I'm going to go with him. So the play just prior, Carl Malone had the ball stripped from him by Michael Jordan. Michael came on a blindside double, swatted it out, and he comes down to hit this iconic shot. The Jazz had time to set their defense. It wasn't Malone who picked up Jordan. Brian Russell. People have to Byron Russell. It is B-R-Y-O-N, Brian Russell. Well, that's one point to Diaz. He now ties Jake at three points apiece with Xavier trailing at two. Diaz, what you got next for us? Second question. The New England Patriots were denied in their quest to become the first 19-0 team in NFL history by the underdog New York Giants, aided by an incredible catch with one minute remaining in the fourth quarter. Who tackled David Tyree after he made the helmet catch in Super Bowl 42? That was Rodney Harrison, wasn't it? Jake, do you have a different answer? Do you agree? 
No, that feels right to me. Yeah. Was in fact Rodney Harrison, number yeah. thirty-seven. All right, points to Xavier and Jake, tying Xavier with Diaz at three. Jake retakes the lead now with four points. Third question: What many call the greatest college football game of all time? This young threw for two hundred and sixty-seven yards and ran for a game-high two hundred yards en route to Texas's dramatic Rose Bowl victory over USC in the national championship. Who had the second most rushing yards for the game? Reggie Bush, right? It feels like a trick question. It feels like if it's not Reggie Bush, it's Lendell White. We, we are going to have to have you select one of those. What do you think, I know, Jake? I know, actually, I guess I want to say it's Lendell White because they probably would have used Bush out of the backfield more often as a pass catcher. All right, so you want to go with Lendell White? I'm down with that. It was, in fact, Lendell White. For over 100, Reggie Bush was held to about 80 yards in that game. The Galaxy Brain strategy pays off. Xavier now goes up to four with Jake at five. Diaz still sitting there at three points for now. As we turn to you for question four, Diaz. Question number four comes back to hit close to home for me. Ill-fated Sixers big four of Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, and Tobias Harris were all on the court for Kawhi Leonard's shot, which is the only Game 7 buzzer beater in NBA playoff history. Who was the fifth Sixer on the court for that shot? See, this is how bad my... Is Danny Green on the team yet at that point, Jake? Was it Al Horford? Horford's my best guess. Yeah, and I don't know who else was on the team. I'm fine with going with Horford. Mm. Horford was signed the following offseason after Uh. Jimmy Butler left the team. Some of that money was used to sign Al Horford. J.J. Redick started in those lineups to complete that big five, but because he was a defensive liability, he was off the court. And James Ennis III... Was the oh, there's zero way I was going to get that court yeah. for that play. That's all right. With that, Diaz now moves back to tied with Xavier. Diaz is up to four points. Jake still with a one-point lead, sitting at five. But let's see if question number five will change that. On June 2nd, 2010, Armando Galarraga was denied a perfect game when with two out in the ninth inning, Jim Joyce incorrectly ruled that Miguel Cabrera did not get the throw to Galarraga in time to cover first base. Who was the batter that was credited with a hit? I knew you were going to ask that. I do remember on a previous episode, I was like, oh, who gives a shit that this random guy was credited with a hit? And then I was like, wait a second. I have no idea. X, do you have any shot? No, I got no idea, but Josh Donaldson did just hit a grand slam against the Red Sox, which makes me happy. Xavier, if you just stuttered a little bit there, you could have accidentally said the right answer. It wasn't Josh Donaldson player by the name of Jason Donald. Um, Who the hell is Jason Donald? I've never heard of him. <laughs> He's the number nine hitter. That's not even a guy. <laughs> uh, that's the very definition of a guy. He may not be a guy, but he did just deliver another point to Diaz, which moves him into a tie for first place with you, Jake. And now Xavier is trailing the two of them with only four points. Number six. Mike Tomlin became the second black coach in NFL history to win a Super Bowl when the Steelers beat the Cardinals in Super Bowl forty-three. Who was the Cardinals coach that he beat? God, I'm blanking so bad. Oh, I know who it is. We're both going to know this name. No, we are who they know. thought, isn't it? We are who they thought they were. I don't think it's Dennis Green, but Dennis Green's the only Cardinals coach that I could think of. <laughs> Wasn't that a big deal because it was the first black head coaches to face each other in the Super Bowl? It's better than anything that I could think of. So if you want to go Dennis Green, I'm fine going Dennis Green. This was not the first Super Bowl to feature a black head coach. It was actually the second one 
The first one being when Tony Dungy and the Indianapolis football team faced off against Lovey Smith and the Chicago Bears. This time, it was just Mike Tomlin, and the other coach for the Arizona Cardinals was Kent Wisenhunt. Oh. S. Green had left the Cardinals, I believe, two years before that. Just as Mike Tomlin delivered a win there, that question delivers Diaz the lead for now. Six points to Jake's five and Xavier's four. The next one, we're going to go back to basketball. The Warriors began their dynastic run by defeating the Cleveland Cavaliers in the 2015 NBA Finals. Who was the Cavaliers head coach that year? Was it Ty Lue at that point? No, it wasn't Ty Lue at that point. It was the guy from Europe. No, David Blatt was also later. No, no, was it David Blatt? You might be right, but it wasn't Ty Lue yet. I'm pretty sure Ty Lue replaced David Blatt. I'm fine with going with David Blatt. It was, in fact, David Blatt. Hey. Hey. Good work. Fired halfway through the following season, Tyler was brought in, and then that was when the Cavaliers beat the 73-9 and nine Warriors once Tyler took over for midseason. Well, that means that Jake has now tied himself once again with Diaz. They both have six. Xavier trails with five points as we continue along. To stay in the world of basketball, Robert Ory hit one of the most iconic shots in NBA history when his three at the buzzer completed a 24-point comeback for the Lakers to even the 2002 Western Conference Finals against the Kings at 2-2. Which Kings player batted the ball out to the three-point line to set up Ory's shot? Was it Weber? X's guess is as good as mine. Let's go with Chris Weber. Chris Weber was the star of those Kings. He was not man to make this ill-fated decision to bat it out. Was it the man who made many ill-fated decisions on behalf of the Kings franchise, <laughs> that being Vladi Divac. Ah. Oh. Okay. Oh, Vladi Divac, the, the ultimate double agent. Not even sure who he's working for. It just very much just seems to be not the Sacramento Kings at all times. It's really crazy. Like If you watch that highlight back, it's uncanny how accurately... Him batting it out just goes right into Robert Ory's wide-open shooting pocket. If he just slaps at it and Shaq gets it, worst case, Shaq scores and it goes to overtime. He did the one thing that could have caused them to lose the game. Well, and that question caused you to retake the lead with now seven points to Jake Six and Xavier's five. Let's stay with basketball for one more. When Damian Lillard hit his walk-off shot to send the OKC Thunder and Paul George home in the 2019 NBA playoffs, it was the second time he hit a series-clinching buzzer beater. Who was the first against? And, a bonus point, you can name the defender that he hit the shot over. Was it against the Spurs? Uh, I picture Dane celebrating in my head, but I can't see the jerseys of the other team. But I, I don't think it was the Spurs, otherwise James would have had a more visceral reaction. The Rockets? I kind of thought Rockets too, but I don't know if they were like playoff good at that point. I, I just feel like that there's a Jam- I think there's a D- Damian Lillard, James Harden thing in there. It just feels like it's a Rockets. It was the Houston Rockets. I'm going to continue it as a question because I'm trying to get my point back. Who was the defender that he hit it over? You, you can't give yourself I, a judge, bonus judge point. Judge is going to rule the bonus point either they get it or no one gets it. For the bonus point, that cannot go to the okay. question asker. The table is speaking to me. Xavier also would not be allowed to try any such shenanigans. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah, I shouldn't have offered the bonus points anyway. But now yeah, we're yeah. in too deep. You want to name the defender that he hit it over? Was PJ Tucker on the Rockets at this point? 
I feel like this is a PJ Tucker thing. Oh, he had to be. It definitely wasn't Harden because Harden would have been somewhere not anywhere near Lillard. Originally, they had Patrick Beverly on him. Then they called timeout, and for some reason, Mike D'Antoni thought it would be a great idea to put Chandler Parsons on Damian Lillard. (laughs) I could not have told you that Chandler Parsons was ever on the Rockets. He was actually pretty solid for them because just as like a catch and shoot three guy around Harden. But to this day, it's the most confounding coaching decision I ever remember because he had it right at first. Like I'll, I'll live and I'll die with whatever Pat Bev does. But yes, he thought Parsons would get over a screen better. Just as Dame scored, Jake and Xavier score there. Jake's up to seven now, tied with you, Diaz. Xavier still right in the thick of it with six. Take it. We're going to go now to the world of baseball. And we're going to go to the 2004 World Series when the Boston Red Sox ended an 86-year curse by winning that World Series over the St. Louis Cardinals in a four-game sweep. Who grounded out to end the 2004 World Series? Boo. Red Sox. Up pools. Scott Rowland. Ooh. I have no idea if it's right. I just want it to be that answer. All right, let's go with Rowland. It was not Scott Rowland, third base. It was a man playing right next to him on that infield at shortstop, Edgar Renteria. Another point for Diaz on the back of the Boston Red Sox there. I hope you're proud of yourself. That brings your score up to eight, giving you the lead once again briefly. And uh, we have just five more left for this category. The 2004 Los Angeles Lakers added Gary Payton and noted piece of shit, Carl Malone, to Kobe and Shaq to form an ill-fated dream team that would ultimately lose the NBA Finals in five games to the Pistons. Who was the fifth starter for those Lakers in the Finals? Was Ty Lue a starter? The only reason I, Ty Lue. The, the only reason I can think of his name is because, you know, the Sixers the year before that, so... There's no penalty here. Other than giving Diaz a point. Which you're going to both go ahead and do, because Ty Lue had since left... LA to go to Washington, played a couple years with Michael Jordan down there. The fifth starter for the Lakers for those finals games was Devin George. Devin George as a staple on the mid-2000s Lakers teams. And for the first time this evening now, Diaz has taken a two-point lead. We've got a couple more, and uh, we're going to go with a RTG flashback for question number 12. Stephen Bradbury struck gold with his improbable 2002 Olympics win in the 1,000-meter speed skating race. Took the silver that year. Didn't Ono recover to get the silver that year? After everyone crashed, Ono got up first and got silver. Think. I'm okay with that answer. I forget what the philosophical theory is that the most obvious answer is the right one, but it is in this case Apollo Ono, of course, did get up and manage to claim that silver medal in that... Occam's Razor, isn't it? Apollo Anton Ono was racing on shoes with Occam's Razors on them that allowed him to skate into second place for that silver. Just as he took number two, that is going to be two points, one for Xavier and one for Jake. Jake narrows the lead that Diaz has to one. It's Diaz nine, Jake eight, Xavier seven. So I'm going to preface this one with a hint that it is tangentially related to a previous question. Not a previous answer, but a previous question. On the opening day of the 2007 college football season, Appalachian State shocked the world by becoming the first FCS team to defeat a top 10 FBS team 
They upset Michigan 34-32. to Michigan had a last-second field goal to win, but this field goal was blocked. Which wide receiver caught the final pass to put Michigan in field position before that field goal was blocked? Was Plaxico Burris a Michigan guy? Just trying to think of Giants receivers. I can't remember if Braylon Edwards was there earlier or not. Ooh. Braylon Edwards sounds like a good answer. I feel like Braylon Edwards like 2005 draft, but I can't think of anybody else. Braylon Edwards was a teammate of this man. Damn. I did graduate prior to this 2007 season. Mario Manningham was a junior who caught that pass from Chad Henney. Mike Hart also came back for his senior year along with Chad Henney. This was supposed to be a team that was going to go on to win a championship. But despite Mario Manningham's catch, they did not beat Appalachia State and I think finished 9-3 and that year. The tangential relation being that David Tyree had the, the highlight catch for the first time the Giants beat the Patriots. And it was Manningham who had that incredible sideline catch that was dropped down right in between three defenders for the Giants to go on to win that second Super Bowl. And famously, neither of them ever played another snap for the New York Giants following those Super Bowl wins. But we do play on now as Diaz leads with 10 points, Jake 8 and Xavier 7. We've got two more, and we're going to stay with football here. The 2000 Baltimore Ravens won their first Super Bowl by defeating the New York Giants. Led by Trent Dilfer, widely considered the worst QB to ever win a Super Bowl, their opponent posted the lowest quarterback rating in Super Bowl history. Who was the Giants quarterback? Oh, uh, 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 Kerry Collins. Yeah, Penn State legend Kerry Collins. It was, in fact, Kerry Collins. Yeah. <laughs> Kerry Collins did not score a single point with the offense in that Super Bowl. Their only touchdown was a kickoff return, which was immediately answered by a Ravens kickoff return following that. However, Kerry Collins does score a point for both Xavier and Jake in this round. That makes it now Diaz 10, Jake 9, Xavier 8. And we've got just one last question staying in the realm of football. This question asked and stated with a couple RTG-isms. Not a Hall of Fame quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, made a shoestring tackle following a Jerome Bettis fumble to save the Steelers' season against the Indianapolis football team en route to his first Super Bowl. Who did Ben Roethlisberger tackle? Why are we calling them the Indianapolis football team? Uh, the Colts have not existed since 1984. Okay. Right. Who was that good safety on the Colts? That's right. who I was trying to remember, too. Diaz is going to say it. I'm going to kick myself. So the player that you're both thinking of, I think, is Bob Sanders. That is who yes. I think. Yes. So Bob Sanders, great guy. He's not this guy. This guy was stabbed within the previous 24 hours before this game in the thigh by his girlfriend, which, which could have contributed to the fact that he got caught by Ben Roethlisberger. That would be Nick Harper. I don't feel as bad about not knowing that. Well, hey, Nick Harper might have gotten stabbed in the leg, but that was a real shot in the leg for Diaz, that last category. That means our score now following that is Diaz 11, Jake 9, and Xavier 8. And with that, even though Xavier trails, it might not be the end of it because we're going to go to the category now inspired by Xavier. This category is called, unfortunately. Here's how it's going to work. You're each going to get open-ended questions that are built of two clauses. Every single time, the second clause will begin with, as Xavier so loves to say, unfortunately. And Xavier, I'm going to go ahead and go to you first. Okay. In 2006, 
Art Shell coached the NFL's third best defense by yards allowed, but unfortunately went 2-14 and and was fired in the offseason for the second time by what team? Raiders. Easy one for you to get things started. That is correct. It is the Oakland at the time Raiders. The Oakland Raiders did fire Art Shell as their head coach a second time. Let's see if Diaz keep up pace with that. Diaz, your first question. In 2013, former U.S. wunderkind and now struggling Juan Agadello signed an agreement to join Stoke City. Unfortunately, this plan fell through due to his failure to acquire what? Visa. We will accept that. We were looking specifically for a work visa, but visa will be accepted by the judges. You indeed are going to pick up the point there. And that will move us to Jake. Jake, your first question. Bob Hill had a 124 and 58 record through his first 182 games as Spurs head coach. Unfortunately, what general manager of the Spurs very much wanted his job? Well, the only other coach of the Spurs that I know is Popovich, so I'm just going to say Popovich, but that's probably completely wrong. You are correct, Jay. Greg Popovich, then GM of the Spurs, did indeed fire Bob Hill and then install himself as head coach of the Spurs before going on to become the winningest head coach of all time. I did not know he was a cold-blooded killer like that. He was. He was. Jake, I might recommend that you check out episode six. (laughs) In the meantime, we're going to go ahead and turn back to Xavier for your next question. Haitian-born Samuel D'Alembert acquired new citizenship ahead of the 2008 Olympics in hopes of competing. Unfortunately, Following a personal dispute, head coach Leo Rottens kicked him off of what national team? France. Sorry, we were looking for Canada. 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 Samuel Canada. <laughs> acquired Canadian citizenship in 2007 to play for the Canadian national team before being kicked off first, by head my coach gut, Leo Rottens. My gut feeling, too. I was like, uh, he probably went to Canada, but then I was like, ah, oh, Haitian, speaks French Creole. Maybe he went for France. I should have stuck with my gut feeling. Damn, that's a good one, though. Well, we'll see if this one for Diaz is just as good. Diaz, your next question. Chris Matthews nearly won Super Bowl forty-nine for Seattle. Unfortunately, Malcolm Butler made a game-sealing interception when Russell Wilson targeted which Seahawks receiver? Tyler Lockett. Diaz, you are incredibly close. It is not Tyler Lockett, but rather... Ricardo Lockett does spell it slightly differently. There's an E at the end, and the E was the air in throwing to him in that game. Should have just handed it to Beast Mode. Unfortunately, you, like the Seahawks, will not score on that question. Let's go ahead and see if Jake instead can get his second one. Jake, Harvey Haddix once pitched 12 perfect innings of baseball in 1959. Unfortunately, it was broken up in the 13th inning by what then Midwestern team that has since relocated? I hope I don't sound like an idiot when I say this. Wasn't the Kansas City A's at that point? It was the Milwaukee baseball franchise, now known as the Atlanta baseball franchise, that broke up Harvey Haddix's perfect game in the 13th inning in 1959. So the second round, stumper for all of you, but that's okay. We've got one round left. Let's turn the dial just a little bit darker as we turn to you, Zave. Oh, no. By the 2010s, Buddy Ryan was a two-time NFL champion with two sons in the NFL coaching ranks. Unfortunately, what cerebrovascular medical event severely impacted his health, leading to his death a few short years later? A stroke, right? 
That is correct. We were looking for stroke. Excellent. That's a point for you, Xavier. To you, Diaz, with our final round of unfortunately. Though he initially survived the infamous plane crash, unfortunately, Duncan Edwards passed away 15 days later from injuries sustained in what Bavarian city? I'm going to say Munich. You are going to say the correct answer with that. It is the Munich air disaster that claimed the lives of several promising young English footballers in the moment and 15 days later, Duncan Edwards. Points for you, Diaz. That gives you another one to keep pace with Xavier. And we turn to you, Jake, for our final question in Unfortunate. Bill Gramatica famously celebrated every field goal with a leap imitating his hero, Maradona. Unfortunately, this led to him tearing which tendon? Oh, Achilles. Oh, that's too bad. We were looking for the hamstring, folks. But that's all right. Still a pretty good round for everybody. After that, we now have Diaz still in the lead with 12 points. And Xavier has tied it up with Jake, 10 apiece for the two of them. So Diaz will have a two-point lead as we head into our next head-to-head round. Just as that last category was inspired by Xavier, Xavier, you yourself wrote this very next one. Why don't you go ahead and challenge Diaz and Jake now? Okay, uh, so... In honor of the NHL draft, which is going on right now, I decided to do hockey trivia with the specific focus on the number two. The first question I have for you is, Martin Brodeur is the NHL all-time leader for goalies in games played with 1,266. Who is number two? Feels like Patrick Waugh, but there might be a guy that just played dumb long. (laughs) Immediately. I Jake, like, do we have a consensus? I like Patrick Waugh is the answer. Unfortunately, the answer is not Patrick Waugh. It is Roberto Luongo, who played 1,044 games. <laughs> You're goddamn right it is. <laughs> That's a point for Xavier and a point well earned by Xavier for the two of you not knowing one of the greatest goalies of all time. And as we have said in now three consecutive episodes, the greatest goalie to never win a Vezina Trophy. Patrick Waugh is third. Patrick Waugh played 15 less games than Luongo. Florida games don't count. <laughs> that point moves Xavier into second place. Sole possession of second place for the first time for X tonight. Still one point behind Diaz with a score of only 11 to Diaz's 12. Jake, you've got 10. Let's see if you and Diaz can pull it together now with Xavier's next question. So this second question also has to deal with goalies. Tom Barrasso is the all-time leader in points for goalies with 48. Two players are tied for second with 47. Can you name one of them? Ron Hextall. Ron Hextall? What do you think, Jake? Diaz is going to have to carry us on this one. I'm not a big hockey guy anymore. This is going to be tough. Hextall sounds like a good answer to me. Well, Hextall is actually eighth, although he played way less games than a lot of the guys ahead of him. Both Martin Brodeur and Grant Fuhrer are tied for second with 47 points. Only one off Tom Barrasso. Hextall has 33, but Hextall only played 600 games, which is half as many as Brodeur. An interesting strategy by Diaz and Jake to not name the goalie that we just discussed in the last question, played the most games and also is known to have the most goals, but we'll see if their strategy changes as we go to Xavier once again. The 2007 draft was headlined by one Patrick Kane, but this was also a rare year where the top two picks were both Americans. Unfortunately, his compatriot did not have quite the same career. 
Who was the number two pick in the 2007 draft? I know 100% who it is. I'm just going to give you a second, Jake. If you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to answer. Go ahead. Fucking James Van like It is JVR. He had one playoff run where he was dominant, and it was like, okay, shit, like, he finally arrived. And that was it. That's the only time I ever saw that JVR. You know, if only he could have had half the career of Patrick Kane. It's like half the cups. <laughs> well, luckily, you guys don't have to split half points. Both you, Jake, and you, Diaz, will get a point from that, meaning that Diaz does move back into first. He's got 13 to Xavier's 12, and Jake's 11. All right, so Leon Dreisaitl is the most recent player to have a 50-50 season in the NHL. He has done it the last two times, both this past year and in 2018-2019. Who is the most recent player before Dreisaitl to have had two 50-50 seasons in the NHL? Malkin? I'm going to say Stamkos. So you are... Close, but incorrect. Malkin did have one 50-50 season in 2011-2012. The answer is actually Alexander Ovechkin, who has done it I just, th- wow. three times. Uh, but the most recent two were back-to-back years 08-09 and 09-2010. He passes? He did back then. Also, his shots that get saved for easy rebounds count as assists. Well, that's an excellent point by Diaz, but unfortunately it doesn't count as a point in the standings. The point will instead go to Xavier, who does tie it back up at 13. Xavier, what you got for us next? Yeah, so uh, illustrious Hall of Guy member Ty Domi is third all-time in career penalty minutes. Number one is held by Tiger Williams. Do you know who is second? No. I say Scott Stevens. Jake, are you cool? Are you cool with that? Yep. <laughs> Go with it. The answer is ex Washington Capitals head coach Dale Hunter. That's right, he was a piece of shit. <laughs> we like guys who are pieces of shit on the ice, but not in real life. It's a good standard to have on the show. So along those lines, this guy, whose mom has become internet famous for chugging from the Stanley Cup. And guaranteeing a victory during the Eastern Conference Finals this year. He had three straight titles prior to this year, almost made it four, and finished second in penalty minutes. Who is he? Yeah, he's a Tampa Bay Lightning player. Yeah. All my focus goes to, like, basketball during that season. Like, <laughs> I really don't fucking... Yeah, the only piece of shit I know in hockey right now is Tom Wilson, and I know he plays <laughs> with the Capitals, so... Victor Hedman? I say what Jake said so that I get an answer credit. It is not Victor Hedman. It is his teammate, Pat Maroon. Pat Maroon won 2019 with the Blue Jackets, 2020 with the Lightning, 2021 with the Lightning. After 2021, his mom was on video drinking lots of alcohol out of the Stanley Cup. And then this year, she guaranteed that they would beat the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals, which... Did work for them, but unfortunately, Mr. Maroon did not win a fourth straight title. Now, I will real quick correct our good friend Xavier there because, of course, the Columbus Blue Jackets have not won a title, but the St. Oh, Louis St. Louis Blues, St. Louis, yes. Even though he got that wrong, he did get the point as Jake and Diaz were unable to score. So that means Xavier's now got 15 to Diaz's 13 and Jake's 11. 
So this guy with a Stanley Cup championship, five all-star appearances, and two Norris trophies is in the conversation for best American-born hockey player ever. But what isn't arguable is that he is the best ever hockey player who wore number two. Who is he? I will say he played in the 90s into the 2000s. Chelios. Chris Chelios. Jake, do you have any idea? No. The answer is not Chelios. The answer is Ryan Leach. He's one of the best USA-born players of all time. Okay, Rangers fan, calm down. I, I, I call shenanigans on that question. Brian Leach is, is one of the best USA-born players of all time and the best uh, to ever wear number two. Uh, he was named to the greatest NHL players of all time list that the NHL put out in 2017. It is indeed a point to see. As, as, as a non-hockey guy, he sucks. <laughs> Brian Leach did not have that dog in him. Xavier's score does, though, now, as he continues to widen his lead. He's up to 16 points. I'm not helping out Diaz at all. Interestingly enough, nice. just for Diaz... The Hockey News put out a top 100 NHL players of all time list on their own. But this was back in 98, and they only had three Americans on the list total. One was Chelios and one was Leach, but they both were still active at the time. Yeah, Chelios is so much better than Leach. This is... eh, Chris Chelios does have dog in him. Much, much dog. Very wow. <laughs> Very guy. Whatever. Give me, give me the next question that I don't know the answer to, Xavier. All right. You know, this one, maybe you'll know. We'll see. Great confidence. Montreal Canadiens were the first team to win back-to-back Stanley Cups. What team was the second to do so? I'll give you a hint. You have five choices. (laughs) What? So (laughs) so you got Canadiens, Blackhawks, Rangers, Leafs. Bruins? Were the Bruins another original six? Original six, I think, yeah. Um, it's not the Bruins. I'm going to say Rangers just because this feels like a Xavier can brag question. It was not the Rangers. It was the team, uh, I believe, was also owned by the same person who owned the Rangers and used the Rangers as a feeder team. answer was the Detroit Red Wings. That was the only oh. one that we didn't fucking name. It's an interesting thing. Despite only having a couple teams, there was only two back-to-back winners for the first 20-plus years of the Stanley Cup's existence. A weird amount of parody among these six teams, except for the Rangers who sucked the whole time. Indeed, a strange amount of parody, an amount of parody that's starting to fly out the window in this race. As Xavier adds to his lead yet again, it is now 17 for Xavier, 13 for Diaz, and 11 for Jake. Xavier, what more you got for us here in our hockey category as you ice your friends? Last two. So, in 1967, the NHL expanded, ending the original six era. They added six teams, doubling the size of the league, two of which were the first West Coast teams in the league. One of these West Coast teams no longer exists, which is the only one of those expansion teams that's not currently active. What was that team? California Seals. Yeah. So the answer is Oakland Seals, which then became the California Golden Seals, which then became the Cleveland Barons. California Seals definitely is accepted. Big points for the Golden Seals. A golden opportunity for Diaz and Jake to now stop the bleeding. Jake's up to 12, Diaz to 14, Xavier to 17 as we head to our final hockey question. So this question is just another way for me to uh, give a shout out to James's Vancouver boys in their Hall of Fame acceptance. Daniel and 
Henrik Sedin are undoubtedly the best twins to ever play in the NHL. But during the 2000s, there was another set of twins in the NHL who actually played against each other, which is something that the Sedins obviously did not do. Who were these twins? Braden and Luke Shen. Did they play in the 2000s? I think so. Well, we got hope. The Flyers got Braden Shen after 2011. Yeah, he came in while I was still in college. It's not Braden Shen. It's not the Shens. Their goalie pair that was twins? One is a goalie. Another hint. They played internationally on the same team as the Sedins. Jonah, I believe we have to call for an answer. I got nothing. You have a phone, a friend? (laughs) So the answer is Henrik and Joel Lundqvist. Joel played for the Dallas Stars. Would never have got that. I did not know Lundqvist had a twin brother. Yep, there is another guy who looks just like Henrik Lundqvist out there. Another just incredibly beautiful, handsome man. That was the article (laughs) I saw. It was like, the Sedins are the best twins, but the Lundqvists are the best-looking twins. Well, and things are looking pretty good for Xavier after that. That does add one more point to his total. He's now got 19 points. He has his 14 and Jake's 12. But game's not over yet. Folks, Jake once played with the three of us in a relatively consistent and competitive trivia competition. And a consistent favorite category in that was a little category we like to call 69 or 420. I'm going to ask each of these gentlemen for several numbers, except I don't want them to actually tell me what the number is. I want them to tell me whether the answer to the question is closer to the number 69 or the number 420. Gentlemen, do you understand the rules of this category? Yes, of course. Well, this time we'll start with a little bit more proper hospitality. We'll start with our guests this time. Jake, your first question, and I remember that guy themed 69 or 420. What is the box office take in millions U.S. dollars of cool runnings based on the 1988 Jamaican men's bobsled team? It's 69. Close to 69. It was a $17 million budget for cool runnings. And it pulled in an incredibly impressive $154.9 million, which is closer to 69 So Jake will go ahead and take a point as we open up our category here. And we move next to you, Xavier. Xavier, your question. Jamie Moyer's career batting average against. <laughs> Ooh. I'm going to say 420. Again, we have established Jamie Moyer is involved in more hits than any other player in MLB history. This is a record that we discovered here on Remember That Guy. One of the things that factors into that is that he allowed a batting average of 268, which is closer to 420. So that's a point for Xavier here. That's wild. My thought was he was probably around 260, 270. You were right on the money. Let's see if Diaz can continue the same. Diaz, we've got one of Xavier's guys. We want to know the total number of yards that were punted by Darren Erstad in the 1995 Orange Bowl for the Nebraska Hornhuskers. Ran the triple option, so it was like a it was a ball control type of offense. But they won that game, and I think they won it somewhat convincingly. I'm going to say 69. In the 1995 Orange Bowl that delivered the Nebraska Cornhuskers their national championship, Darren Erstad, a future World Series champion with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, punted for 288 yards, which is closer to 420. So Diaz, unfortunately, you will not get a point. Mm. We come to our second turn through the order. Let's go ahead and see, Jake, if you can keep this thing rolling. We want to know, 69 or 420, the number of wings consumed by Molly Schuyler in her first wing bowl, taking place in 2014. Number of wings, 69 or 420. Oh, no. 
Whatever the number is, it's just an unholy gross number. Judges are saying that is correct, I'm but unfortunately gonna... that will not get you a point. <laughs> I'm going to say 69. <laughs> While later she would set the record with over 500, even in her first wing bowl, she put down 363 wings oh, in one hour, oh which is God. closer to 420. Jake, you will not get points for that. We move next to Xavier. We want to know how many players were taken before Jeremy Bloom in the NFL draft. 69 or 420? Ooh, 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 ooh. Um, this, is, this is just math here. Was he Mr. Irrelevant? I think just based on math, it has to be 69. He was not Mr. Irrelevant. He was the 147th overall pick. That does mean that 69 will be correct, and that will grant you, Xavier, another point. Diaz, though, here's a chance to redeem yourself for last time. We want to know, 69 or 420, Ty Domi's average penalty minutes per season. <laughs> per season. So, like, there's a lot of factors at play here because you need to think about suspensions that he would get for being a dick. Should count as penalty minutes. Conservatively, if he averaged three penalty minutes a game and he played every game in a year, he would still only be at, like, 240. So I'm going to say 69. Ty Domi's career high in penalty minutes was 347. He did manage 347 in a season once. However, his average was 188 and a half minutes. So Diaz, you are correct with 69 and you do net a point there. That means after two turns through the order here in 69 or 420, Xavier still leads with 21. Diaz is keeping pace at 15. Jake is right behind Diaz with 13. We move to our final round through 69 or 420. Jake, the question to you, and this is one that you'll probably enjoy, we want to know what was Pete Weber's final score in the Who Do You Think You Are, I Am game? Oh. Oh, no. I have to know this answer. Remember, you don't need the actual number. I almost feel bad that I don't know the actual number. It's like an iconic oh. moment in your culture, man. <laughs> in my culture, for my people. Uh, Jake, I'm going to press be, you for an answer. It's going to be 420. I think he shot like 248. Coming into the final throw. Pete Weber trailed by a number of pins. He had to pick up a split. That split put him over his opponent's score of 214. It put him over its opponent's score by exactly one point. Pete Weber finished with a final score of 215, which is closer to 69. Unfortunately, Jake, you will not pick up a point for that one. The, bo the bowler worry. has to give up his balls and shoes now for getting that one wrong. Well, that's all right, Xavier. We'll see how long you're allowed to hold on to your cultural cachet. Xavier, for your final question in this round, I need to know... What's the combined number of appearances by Hank Basket on both Kendra and Kendra on top in terms of number of episodes? Oh, God damn it. Um, <laughs> it's going to be 69 because I think there's only like 120 episodes combined of all, of all those shows. Are you absolutely certain that that is your final answer for, again, the question about this man that took the love of your adolescent life away from you? I'm a happily married man. I believe it's 69 for Hank Basket. You dirty boy. It is indeed 69, 127 episodes. It's uh, I was right money. Yeah, that's kind of gross. I'm going to break character for one sec to say, ew. <laughs> Diaz, we move on to you. Got a little bonus for y'all in a moment. But this is our second to last question in the 69 or 420 category. Diaz, I need to know, what's the number of underhanded free throws that Brent Berry missed in his career? 69 or 420? Hmm. Let's think about this. 
say he shoots 300 free throws in a season, shoots him at a 90% clip, that means he's missing 30 a year. That's assuming he's healthy for all of his seasons. I'm going to say 69. As everyone knows, the exact midpoint between 69 and 420 is, of course, 244.5. Brent Berry is incredibly close to that 244.5 with his career missed through throws. He overestimated a little bit on a couple of things. He actually has a career free throw percentage of 87.3%. That means over his career, he missed 274 free throws. I am sorry, that is closer to 420. Mm. That round's going to stiff you once again. But you know what, Diaz? I'm feeling generous to all of you. We're going to have one final bonus round. All of you get a chance to answer this one. If any of you get it wrong, whoever gets it right will get a point for anyone that also gets it wrong. Just a chance to spice things up a little bit. The final question, we want to know the total number of points in Lindsey Harding's national career for the nation of Belarus. All points scored by WNBA great Lindsey Harding for the nation of Belarus in international competition. 169. You're going with 69? 169. You're going with 420. Am I saying the number that I think it is, or am I saying... I'm asking for 69 or 420. Xavier has decided to call his shot even more so. No, I'm sorry, Xavier. Your answer has been entered in. If that is indeed the exact answer, then (laughs) then I'll say you're in luck. But you have entered that answer. So as it stands right now, you've got 169. Jake has 420. Diaz, what will you pick? I... I'm going to roll with 420 as well. In Lindsey Harding's career for the Belarusian team, she scored exactly 69 points. <laughs> Xavier is closer. Xavier will take three points on that total. <clears throat> These last two categories have been a real reversal of fortune. As we enter our final non-Jeopardy copyright infringing round, the score is Xavier 24, Diaz 15, Jake 13. Our category is Hated Rivals of the Show. In the category Hated Rivals of the Show, in 2007, when noted international criminal Mehmet Okor stole an all-star spot from Hall of Guy inductee Marcus Camby, what team did he represent at that all-star game? 30 seconds, players. Alrighty, the answers are in. Jake, we'll start with you. You're in third place at 13 points. Your response was the Utah Jazz. The answer is correct. Your wager was 12, bringing you up to a total score of 25 for the moment. Now in the lead, one point ahead of Xavier. Yes. I'm retiring right now. We're done. Well, unfortunately, the other two have not retired yet, so we'll need to see. Diaz, you were in second place with 15 points. Your response, also the Utah Jazz, 15 points. Moves you up to 30 total. Temporarily taking the lead. Let's go ahead and turn to Xavier. Scorching hot final last rounds. Despite the icy cold of hockey, it was, uh, it was a hot streak for you. Are you able to finish it? Your response, the 24-point total, was the Utah Jazz. With a wager of five points, you finished with a final score of 29. One point behind our champion, our first ever guy Justin Diaz. Take it back. Bam! Just like that. That's all there is to it, Justin. 
That's all there is to it. A winner. Just like that. Incredible moment to to win due to a clerical error by Xavier. <laughs> by doing my math wrong, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> it's it's just an honor to be here to represent the Academy and to truly, I think, once and for all, claim a victory for us anti-analytic folk. Xavier had more dog in him, he would have just done the simple math, but he tried <laughs> to get all fancy and run some calculations, and it cost him. At the end of the day, you knew what we needed to know our youngest age when we first learned what a dog is and what a cat is and what sound the cow makes <laughs> and how to do arithmetic it worked out for us it's great to be a guileanaire well and we have your guileans uh just over here on the stage but before we step off the stage thank you again to our esteemed guest jake adams joining us from the beautiful state of kentucky it's been lovely to have you to expand our national reach and just thoroughly legitimize all of this so thank you so much for being on man it was a real pleasure having you aboard to, to play trivia with you again for the first time in a while thank you for having me it was definitely a fun time hopefully my hundreds of devoted twitter followers will uh sign up for your podcast here and listen very soon they can also follow us on twitter at remember guys pod xavier anything you want to you want to say in passing once again our very special guest you know what there's a reason i'm a lawyer and not a mathematician I got to work on my calculus, on my physics, on my on all the arithmetic. Got to got to practice all that for next time. But congratulations to Diaz. He does got that dog in him. He does indeed have that dog in him. Uh, I've been your master of ceremonies, James. I've been the very special guest, Xavier. I'm the better late than never. Very special guest, Jake Adams. I'm Diaz. And as President John F. Kennegai once said, ask not what your guys can do for you. Ask what you can do for your guys. I'm just changing people's things. This is just the game.